Make your way back to your seats. You can go ahead and be seated. You've been standing a long time today. I'm going to get right into the Word of God. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Then we're going to drop down to verse 12. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, everybody say, I belong to Him. The power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. If you don't understand this morning that you belong to Him, it's very easy to drift back into the place where you were before you ever accepted Him into your life. But when you begin to understand who He is and who He makes you when you receive salvation, the power of the life-giving Spirit, what does that mean? That means the same Spirit that raised the man Jesus Christ back to life on the third day that he had been in the tomb, that same Spirit comes alive in you. The Spirit of God, the breath of the Almighty comes alive in you and gives you the power to live life free from sin. That sound good to anybody? Drop down to verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, just in case anyone thought that it didn't apply to all of us, you have no obligation to do what your sin nature urges you to do. Pastor, I would stop doing that, but it's all I know. When you know who you are in Christ, when you have received the power of the life-giving Spirit, you have no longer any obligation to keep doing what your sin nature urges you to do. You wake up in the morning and you want to do something you know is not right, and you, you start to do it, and then the, the power of God awakens you and says, hey, you don't have to do that. Notice that sin nature makes you do it. God just says you don't have to do it. Sin wants to make you a slave to sin, but he wants to give you freedom and life and power in him. Amen. Let's drop down to verse 15. The first half of the verse says this, You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Right where you're seated. With nobody looking around. Real quick, why don't we lift our hands and our hearts. Father, come alive in this place today. We've already felt your presence. You've already touched and ministered to so many. But now, Father, we're asking that your word takes root in our hearts, takes root in our lives. Change us from the inside out. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Let's clap our hands as we get ready to go into the word of God. Today, if, if you need a title for today's sermon, I'm simply going to title it Divine Adoption. Divine Adoption because adoption is a part of the nature of our God. And oftentimes we overlook it because we don't understand everything there is to know about God. Isn't it great to know that every time you step into His presence, He's going to peel back one more layer. He's going to show you something about Him that you may not have known before. And we're in a series that we started last Sunday that we're just titling Baptism. That's what's there on the screen because baptism is God's ultimate plan for every believer. You say, well, I was baptized when I was a child or I was baptized when I joined a church or I moved from one church to another. I got baptized again. And if that's where you are, hey, that's great. God's going to build on that foundation. But I want you to know that baptism is so much more than what happens in a tank of water. 
And this is actually what we learned last Sunday in part one. We, we learned that baptism actually has four aspects, and they're laid out through the Word of God. We see them in the Old Testament playing all the way through, through into the New Testament. Baptism begins with repentance. The baptism of repentance, where we accept God into our lives. And then there's the baptism of water, which is where we're cleansed from yesterday. And then the baptism of discipleship. That's where God begins to grow us. That's where he begins to develop us through our relationships with other believers, where a believer comes alongside us and begins to disciple us. We're not supposed to do life by ourselves. We're not even supposed to grow in Christ by ourselves. We are supposed to grow together through the strength that only comes through him. And then the last aspect of baptism is when we are baptized by the Holy Spirit and with fire. Because that's when our lives become effective. How many of you want your life to be effective today? You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit because salvation is only the entrance into what God has for you. But when he overshadows you with the breath of his character, when he fills you to overflowing with everything that he is, that's when your life can begin to make a difference. And for so many believers, there's a misunderstanding of of baptism. Because religion has got involved and religion has regulated it. And then denominationalism got involved and denominationalism began to affect the way that people were being baptized. And as a result, over the centuries, people and churches and believers of all stripes have drifted away from the biblical model of baptism. And if you don't know this about NOLA Church, we are intentional about preaching what the Word of God says. I'm not going to preach to you out of a history book. I'm not going to preach to you out of a denominational manual. I'm not going to tell you traditions of men and say these are God's ideas. If it's a tradition of man, I'll tell you, this is a tradition. Like, for example, we're sitting in rows today. That's a tradition. I'm wearing jeans today. That is a new tradition. Joe was wearing, like, ripped-up jeans. You can't be a modern-day non-denominational worship leader without having ripped-up jeans somewhere in your closet. Like right now, they're supposed to be skinny, but give them about three weeks or three months, they're going to be baggy again. I remember the, you know, the Doc Martens and the baggy jeans hanging down and the whole back was ripped out because you was walking on them. Those are traditions of men. I grew up in a tradition where you wore a three-piece suit every time you went to church. And if you weren't wearing a suit, they questioned your salvation. We were even extra weird. If you were wearing a dress shirt that wasn't white, I was, so, I was so rebellious the day that I got a, a, a light blue shirt with a white collar. I walked in, I was like, what? <laughs> I was the pastor's kid, like, so rebellious. You know, we have traditions, and some of them come from good foundation. Come, some of them come with some good traditions, like don't tear down a fence before you know the reason that it was built. But when you find out that it was built off of man's idea and to, and to prop up somebody else's idea and some bad teaching and some bad understanding, it's time to say, choke the tradition. Let's get back to what the Word of God says. Amen? So everything that we do is through the lens of the Word of God. Even the songs that we choose have a lot of Scripture built into them because I don't want to just entertain people at church. They do better concerts at the Smoothie King. Let's be real. Like, there, there's great concerts there. This May, Todd, we're going to see James Taylor? You've got a friend. Anyway. 
Sweet baby James. We're going to have a good time. There's good concerts at the Smoothie King Center. We didn't come to do a concert. We came to usher in the presence of God. And so we choose songs that are built on the Word of God. The way that we do church is through the lens of the Word of God. We do relationships on purpose because that's how God said do them. If you've come from another church, you, you will see things that are different from the church that you came from. By the way, that's why God moved you from the other church here. We're not going to go back to what was because you should have just stayed there if that was what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. He wants to do something new in you, but we're going to do what we do based on the Word of God. Even baptism is going to be based on the Word of God. So today, I'm probably going to say some things that you may never have heard. Brace yourself, baby. I'm coming for you. I'm probably going to say some things that bump the way you were taught. And that's okay. Because we're all going to get bumped by the Word of God. Is that cool? Here's the deal. I promise you that nothing that I say is going to be outside of the Word of God. I'm going to put it in my words, but I'm going to preach to you what the Word of God says. There's a lot of believers, because of bad teaching and, and, and lack of desire to actually study the Word of God, with accuracy, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of believers today that believe that water baptism actually started in the New Testament. I've actually heard people preach that John the Baptist was the very first person who ever baptized people. Anyone ever heard that? Well, that's not true. He was called the Baptist because he was baptizing people. And no, John the Baptist was not the first Baptist that ever lived. If you grew up Baptist, John the Baptist was not the first one. They called him that because he went out into the wilderness and he baptized. But if he had just showed up dunking people in water, trust me, first century Jews would have went, I ain't touching that. He was not the first person. Actually, the very first person to baptize anyone in the Bible is Moses. We should have called him Mo the baptizer, right? Because we see this all the way in the Old Testament. The reason that we see it all the way in the Old Testament is because baptism, even water baptism, is an aspect of God's covenant with his people. It represents something so much more than simply getting wet. It represents some, something so much greater than going through a ceremony. People say, well, pastor, why don't we baptize babies? First off, it's not in the Bible. Secondly, I don't know if you've ever tried to drop a baby into water. They will fight you. Thirdly, I don't know if you've ever tried to take someone else's baby and drop them into water. Mom's going to fight you. We're going to do this the biblical way. We practice what, what is called believer's baptisms in the Bible. Once you have believed in Christ, then because of that decision that you've made, you follow his example in water baptism. Amen? We want you to know what you're deciding because as you're going to learn today, being water baptized is so much more than just ceremony. People say, well, when are, when are we going to get our certificate that we got baptized? You can go over to the, to the church store and get you one right down on there. I'm not going to give you one, but I promise you Jesus Christ is keeping record in heaven. When you're buried in the water and you come up out of that water, he has kept good record of what has happened. Amen, amen, amen. So real quick, let me give you a little history. Water baptism, because it was a part of God's covenant, the, the original application was all about cleansing. 
And you can see the high priests in the Old Testament and the Levites, the people who ministered in the temple or the tabernacle and then ultimately the temple, they, they practiced baptism on the regular. They would, they would be baptized every time they went in to do any type of ministry. The first thing they had to do was be baptized. They had to be completely cleansed of everything that was on them before they came into the holiness of God. Because if you try to do ministry carrying your sin... Hear me. The holiness of God doesn't really care for that. The Bible says that he's not going to share his glory with any other. And so before grace came, sin would walk into the presence of God and God would say, nope. Aren't you thankful for grace? How many of you sinners walked in the church today? Some of y'all are being honest. You're raising your hands. The rest of you are like, oh crap, I don't want to get killed. <laughs> no, here's the deal. We're all sinners. But because of grace, all of us sinners can walk into the presence of God. We can walk boldly into the throne of God and say, I'm carrying some sin, but His grace covers us. And in the Old Testament, that was not the case. They had to be baptized. There were other types of ceremonial baptism that the rest of the congregation, the rest of the people that were called God's people, they would do on the regular. Sometimes they'd be baptized monthly or quarterly or, or annually or sometimes on, on special anniversaries they would go through a baptism. But the, very, the foundation for the baptism that we practice today and the, the foundation in the Old Testament of, of what we call water baptism that is so much more than getting wet is actually through the process of adoption. Everybody say adoption. Adoption is a part of God's character. And yes, while, while we see the example in a family setting where a mom or a dad or even a single mom or a single dad adopts someone into the family, which, by the way, I, I believe is such a godly thing. When there are so many broken and hurting people and a family says, I'm going to open up my family and bring you in and make you a part of That's so godly. And I think some, some people ought to be praying, God, is there a child that I can bring into my life? My Lord, I got four kids, I got four daughters, and every time a new young lady joins the church, she gets adopted into our family. We got all kinds of kids. People say, hey, go home with the pastor. They feed you good, you know. You look at me, tell I don't miss too many meals. But adoption is a beautiful thing. And the, the biblical foundation for water baptism is actually adoption. Y'all ready to go deep? Y'all ready? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm ready. Look back and say, put on your waders. Here we go. In, in the Old Testament, God gave a covenant to his people and he said, my people are not allowed to own slaves more than seven years. Now let me give you some context because when I said slaves, everybody thought, 17, 1800s, North America slaves, or maybe those of you that didn't study in school, you're thinking like modern day human trafficking slavery. That's not the kind of slavery we're talking about. In, in, in the biblical times, when, when God's people would go in and they would conquer another group of people, they could take the people and make them slaves, say, you're going to come work for me, but they were not allowed to abuse them. They were not allowed to mistreat them. God is very specific. If you're taking this person into being your servant, you better take care of them. You better not mistreat them because, by the way, I created them in my image and in my likeness. So don't mistreat somebody just because you have responsibility over them. But he said very specifically, my people cannot take another person who is my child 
and make them a slave more than seven years. So somebody gets into financial trouble. And they, they go to somebody else in the congregation and says, look, I can't pay my bills. Some of y'all are like, man, I'm taking notes right now. I can't pay my bills. I can't take care of my family. So what we're going to do is we're literally going to indenture ourselves to you. We're going to be your servants. And you're going to be responsible for us. God said, okay, if you're going to do that, you can only do that for seven years. And at the end of seven years, you have to let my people go. You've got to let them go. And even if it's somebody that you've conquered every seven years, you have to let the slaves go because I don't want anyone feeling like they are obligated to somebody else. I want them trusting in me. That's the whole purpose of why he does this. And then if you were, if you were a Hebrew, if you were a part of the congregation, a part of the community of God, here's what would happen. You had three options to get out of the slavery situation. Option one, the patriarch of the family, the father, would come in and he would say, okay, you've worked for me for seven years, and now I'm going to release you and give you your freedom. And oh, by the way, thank you for your service. Here's some severance. Because you don't have anything. You don't have anything on your own. I've given you everything. But as I send you out into the world, I'm going to give you some severance. I hope that you've learned something during your tenure with me. But if you didn't, don't come back and see me because I have no more responsibility in your life. That's option one. Option two is the slave could come and the patriarch say, hey, you've done great. I'm going to give you your freedom and I'm going to give you your severance. And the slave would say, no, 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 no. I love you. You've taken care of me for the last seven years. You've taken care of all of my needs. You've met everything in my life that I needed and I don't want to do life outside of you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make myself a permanent slave to you. And the Bible says that that slave would go over to the doorpost of the house, place their ear on the doorpost, and the patriarch, the father of the family, would take an awl, which is a, a piece of metal about yay long that you use to hammer nails in under the wood so you don't see them. They would take an awl and they would hammer that awl through the slave's ear, piercing their ear, and then that patriarch would put a hoop in the ear to signify to the world this person was given freedom, but they chose eternal servitude. They became a bondservant. In fact, when you read in the New Testament, especially Paul, Paul calls himself, I am a bondservant to Christ. I am, I am a slave of Christ by choice. He didn't make me a slave, but I have permanently made myself a servant to Christ. He offered me freedom, but I said, the only freedom I want is eternal servitude to you. That's pretty awesome, huh? Then there's, there's option number three. Y'all ready for option number three? Behind door number three. Option number three was this. The seven years comes, and the patriarch says, look, I could set you free and give you severance. I could put a hole in your ear, but it seems painful. So I'm not going to do that, because I love you. Notice the bondservant loves the patriarch. But in option three, the patriarch loves the slave so much that the patriarch says, I don't want you to stay a slave. 
I want you to be my child, and I'm going to adopt you into my family. Go with me here real quick. How does this work? The patriarch would let the congregation know, let the tribe know, let all the friends and the family know. And they would go down to a place that had already been designated, a body of water that had been built specifically and prepared specifically for this. And in the Bible, it was called a baptismal font. It was basically a, a, a pond that they had built specifically for baptisms. And the patriarch, the father, y'all go with me, I got something here. The father would take the slave into the water in front of the congregation. And the father would say, you were a slave, but today I'm baptizing you into my name. Now you're a child. I don't know if you caught that. You were a slave, but now in my name, you're a child. One more time again. You were a slave, but in whose name? The Father's name. Now you're a child. Wait, wait, wait. There's more. That was cool, but th this, there's more. The slave that is given freedom is only given severance. Severance can run out. I don't know if you've ever been fired or let go or laid off. They give you, like, here's two weeks, go have fun. What? I just bought 14 more cars and signed up for all the Netflix. And Your severance will run out. You better hope you learn something. Because when it's gone, it's gone. That's a good life lesson right there. Young girls, all four of you, listen to me. When it's gone, it's gone, baby. You may have gotten severance. A bond servant just has their needs met, but they can't ever do anything. Right? Because they don't have anything to do anything with. Everything they own belongs to the patriarch. They can't do anything. They can't amass wealth. They can't do an investment. They can't start a business. They can't do anything because all of their withal, wherewithal comes from the patriarch. But when the slave is adopted by the father... The father, by placing his own name, by placing his own name on the slave's life, when the slave comes out of the water, the slave receives the inheritance of the father. Because in this moment, the slave becomes a child of the father. Whew, that's, that's some good, deep stuff right there. Here's what Paul said in Galatians 3, 27. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. You went into the water a slave to your sin. And you buried the death of your sin because when you repented, you killed your sin. And you went into the water to be buried. That's why we don't sprinkle. That's why we bury. Because the last time I tried to sprinkle dirt on a dead man, I can still smell the stank. And in the day of zombies, you want to make sure that fool's buried. It's dead. 
You repented. You died to your sin. You killed your sin nature, and you buried it. And when you come out, you put on the identity of Christ like you're putting on new clothes. What, what does that even mean? But you've you got to understand this, because words in the Bible mean things. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is not the second part of a cuss word you say when someone cuts you off in traffic. Christ is literally the, the Greek interpretation into the English from the, the Hebrew word Messiah, which literally means he has become my salvation. So when the writers are putting Christ next to Jesus, or when they refer to Jesus simply as Christ, what they're wanting you to see is that he, not being separate from God, oh, somebody hear me, but he, God, the invisible one, robed himself in flesh, walked around on the earth, and said, oh, by the way, I became your salvation. I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you thinking that some dead lady is your salvation praying for you because it ain't happening. She ain't doing it. She's dead. But I want you to know that I, the one who spoke the worlds into existence, I, the one who threw me, everything was created. I want you to know that I stretched myself wide and I gave my life for you. When you see Christ, you're seeing that God has become my salvation. If you have been buried in, with Christ in baptism, you have been united with salvation in baptism, and you're putting on salvation like putting on new clothes. Here's the deal. Your father takes you into the baptismal font. It might be Pastor John, it might be Pastor Matt, it might be anything. They're not your father. They're just standing in because he's a spirit right now. But the father stands behind you and says, I love you so much that I want you to be a part of my family. And I want to give you inheritance. You were a slave, you were an addict, you... You went through this, you went through this, you, you called, you went by all these other names, but right now I'm calling you son or I'm calling you daughter. And I'm going to baptize you into my name. And when you come out of the water, what you were no longer exists. Because what you were is gone and what you are now is what your identity is. And your identity is salvation. Y'all with me? That's what you were, but now this is who you are, and you have his inheritance. Let, let me break it down because I, I, I don't want anybody to miss this. Y'all enjoying this already? You getting some good stuff? Like you, you're, going, you're going to eat at Chick-fil-A. No, you can't eat at Chick-fil-A today. They're closed. Christians everywhere are upset about that. It's our only restaurant we can eat at. My daughter calls Chick-fil-A crappy Christian food. I'm just saying. When we're baptized into our Father's name, everybody say, into my Father's name. Three things happen. Y'all ready? Take some notes on this. Take a picture of the screen. We take on His identity. When I'm baptized into my Father's name, I take on His identity. So real quick, I want to make sure everybody understands what we're talking about here. What's the father's name? Okay. 
these people knew it. They're on my team, and they were at the first experience. Father is not his name. Brace yourself. About to wreck somebody. I'm going to get emails. I'm going to get unfollowed. Father is not his name. People say, Pastor, why don't you baptize in the name of the Father? I just skip over the verbiage and get right to what the name is. Jesus said, I come in my Father's name. What's the Father's name? Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. What's the Father's name? So when you see the Father, who do you see? When you see Jesus, who do you see? Yeah, you see Jesus, but you see the Father. He said, I and my Father are, right? We're staying in the book. When you are baptized in the name of your Father, you take on his identity. You went in a slave, but you come out a child of Jesus Christ. You're buried in water, which represents the ending of your life as a slave to sin. Here's the deal. When you are baptized into the name of Jesus, your past is gone. It no longer defines you. Pastor, I struggle with this. This is just my struggle. You did not allow the water that you were baptized in to have power. Because in that moment, it was nothing more than a ceremony for you. Let me recommend, if that's what it was for you, I'm not questioning your salvation. Not at all. Not one little bit. But what I'm saying is maybe, perhaps, might be a good idea to go apply some authority and some power. Because if you're still a slave to your sin, the water meant nothing. You need some authority. You need some power. You need an identity change. Is this good this morning? The second thing you receive when you're baptized into your father's name, you receive his inheritance. What is his inheritance? Eternal life. Here's the deal. No matter who you are, if you're a believer or if you're a ranked sinner, you will spend eternity alive somewhere. You will either spend eternity in communion with God or you'll spend eternity in separation from God. The Bible calls communion with God Life. The Bible calls separation from God for eternity hell. Yeah, and I know I just ticked some people off. I've messed with theology, and now I'm talking about hell. Like, what kind of church is this? They sang for 45 minutes, and now the preachers talk about hell. It's not fun to talk about hell, right? But there is a heaven, and if there's a heaven, we have to understand there is a hell. And if we are not spending eternity in communion with God, we will spend eternity separated from God. Is it God's plan? No, he said it's not his plan that any should perish. Hell was not even built for us. Hell was built for Lucifer and the fallen angels. But if we choose not to live in life, we will spend eternity here. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at God. Send him the emails. Jesus at God.com. Just go. But to receive his inheritance, trust me, your eternity, you will be alive and you will know every moment of your eternity, whether you're in eternal communion or an eternal separation. He says, I want to give you my inheritance. You will never die. 
Yeah, you may pass from this earth, but you will never be separated from me no matter what happens in eternity. Because if you receive me and you receive the authority of my name and you're a child, it's not just when you're breathing. Even when you're pushing up daisies, you will still be my child. This is good this morning. You learn anything. Let's go to number three. The third thing you receive when you're baptized into your father's name, just in case you forgot. What's the father's name? One more time. What's the father's name? How many of y'all are mad at me? A couple of y'all are. I can tell by the look on your face. I still love you. Number three, we become his expression. Everybody say his expression. Paul said like this, no longer I, but Christ lives in me. I become the expression of God. Pastor, does it really matter how I live my life outside of church? You better believe it. Because when you've received Christ and you've been buried in his name and you come out of the water, you become an expression of Christ. And when you go out into the world, the world sees you as an expression of Christ. And even if they don't recognize it, God sees you as an expression of himself. And he's saying, what are you expressing? What does your life say about the choices you've made in your life? Who's your daddy? Who's your father? Do you know who you belong to? Were you given severance or were you adopted? Praise God. This good this morning? Here's the deal. Paul teaches us in Romans that when we're buried in the name of Jesus and water baptism, not only are we reunited with Christ in baptism, but that's where the born-again experience takes place. People say, I'm a born-again Christian, and they never got baptized. You're not born again. You're a dead man walking. Because all that means is you repented. You died. But you need to be buried so you can be resurrected, so you can be born again, and so your name is no longer sin. Your name is no longer slave to sin. Your name is no longer addict. Your name is no longer pervert. Your name is no longer whatever it is. You place your name. Your name becomes child of God. I, let's take about 10 seconds to just glorify God for the power of what happens in his name. Praise God. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'm almost done here. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 14. Here's what he says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sin nature urges you to do. Real quick show of hands. I'm not going to ask you to tell me what it is. But in the last two weeks, has anybody besides me been tempted? Those of you that didn't raise your hand, you are awesome and you are angelic. We'll see you all in the next life. God's going to rapture you right on out of here. Either that or you'll live in eternal separation for a lion. But <laughs> Here's the deal. You're going to be tempted. Your temptation does not mean that you are not a child of God. Because God himself, robed in flesh, was tempted. Jesus Christ was tempted. In fact, the Bible says he was tempted in the same way that we are in every aspect of his life. But he was without sin in his humanity. Ooh. To show you that when your humanity is submitted to his spirituality, you can overcome the urges and the temptations of your sin. 
You can't do it on your own, but when you will take your flesh and say, I submit my flesh to your spirit, in this moment you receive the power and the urges of your sin. What what your sin nature urges you to do, you have no longer any obligation to do it. But pastor, it's all I know. My grandma, my grandpa, my dad, all my friends, this is all I've ever done. It's a habit. Y'all with me? You're no longer under any obligation to any of that because you have been made anew. Praise God. For if you live by the dictates of your sin nature, you will die. He's not just talking about a natural death. He's talking about an eternal separation from God. If you allow your sin nature to control you, even after you've been bought and paid for and washed by the blood, you're going to live separated from God. That's why you're going to be constantly battling your flesh. Say, Pastor, I don't know how to overcome. Why can't God take this away from me? Because you won't surrender. And he's saying, if you'll just stop trying to drive, I can carry you through this. If you will let go of the control, I can show you the power that I've already placed in you that you won't allow to be in charge because you're scared to death of being weird. Because some people on late night Christian TV were weird and you think if I surrender to God, I'm going to be weird too. No, you won't. You won't even have to get a bus and go do tent revivals. You can just be you. You can be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, overcoming everything, and just be a normal you. He wants me to be a peculiar people. That just means set apart. It doesn't mean weird. Stop chasing weird, church. Weird drives people away, but holiness attracts them. That whole other series. Let's move on. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Notice he didn't say, if you'll allow me to put to death the urges of your sinful nature. We want God to do it. He's like, bro, I got crucified. I did it. I don't know if you heard me, but I said, it is finished. What you're asking me to do, I did. It's done, done. We're wanting God to kill the urges of our sin nature. And he says, no, they're your urges. You kill them. Those are your desires. You take care of it. Oh, but by the way, don't do it with your power. Allow my spirit to strengthen you that when the urge comes, when the temptation comes, when that bad relationship shows up or that thing pops up on your feed, you say, no. Not today, Satan. But you better have the strength. That's why he doesn't say, if, if you don't like it, I'll resist the devil for you. No. He says, you resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But you've got to take, you've got to take the bull by the horns and say, no, this is my responsibility. I've repented, which means I received salvation. I've been baptized into his name, which means I am a child of God. I am no longer obligated to this, and the power of the life-giving spirit is in me. I will not be overcome by this. And he closes out, for all who are led by the spirit are children of God. If you're not being led by the Spirit, one of two things is your reality. 
either you don't know that that's a possibility for you or you're not a child of God. But I thought we were all born children of God. No, I'm sorry. That's religion. That's tradition. All have been born in sin. And in sin did our mothers conceive us. And God gave the law and the law couldn't accomplish it. So what the law could not accomplish, he did it. He completed the fulfillment of the law and came to say, you are no longer bound to anything outside of me unless you choose to live like that. Notice this. Sin makes you a slave. Christ makes you a child. Sin says, I want you to serve me. In fact, you don't have any choice. And he says, I would rather you just choose me. But if you don't, I'm still going to love you. By the way, when, when you get worn out, I'm still going to be standing there reaching for you. I'm going to be standing there, the father standing there with open arms, saying, run on back home. I got you. Come on, prodigal, I got you. I can't come to where you are, but I'm standing right here waiting. And when you come to your senses, come see me. I got you. That's what your father does. Three things real quick, and then I'm, then I'm going to close. There are things that we get because of the name. Say, Pastor, why are you so adamant about the name of Jesus? First off, it says that everything that is done in word or deed be done in the name of Jesus. So I'm just following the Bible. And he also said, if two or three are gathered concerning anything in my name, I will be there in the midst of them. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do life without Jesus Christ doing it with me. Amen? So I'm going to do everything in word or deed, everything I do with you, everything I do with my family, I'm going to do in the name of Jesus. Because there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. Why is the name important? Because the name is where the authority comes from. By the way, his name is not Father. By the way, his name is not Son. Son? His name is not Holy Spirit, and he's not a dove. His name is Jesus. He is our Father. He is the Son because He robed Himself in flesh and paid the price for our sin. And then He will baptize us in His own breath and in His own character. And He is the Spirit. When the Spirit of Christ lives in you, you've got to understand that it's not separate. It's one. He is everything. So let's do things in His name. Because of the name. Everybody say, because of the name. No, say it like you're going to preach with me. It sounds better on the podcast. Because of the name. There we go. we got a room full of preachers. I have power over my sin nature. Let me just help you out. I, I believe words mean things. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this, but I'll raise mine to show you that I, I'm not special. If you have trouble controlling your sin nature and you're praying, Father, please take this off of me, you're praying without authority. There's no authority in Father. There's only authority in Jesus. Take this off of me. Jesus, stop this demon from messing with me right now. Jesus, shake hell apart right now because it's ravaging me. Oh, Father, that's good. He is your Father. Acknowledge Him as your Father. But there's no authority in what He is. There's only authority in who He is. This good this morning? So because of the name, I have power over my sin nature. Because of the name. No, let's try it again. Because of the name. 
I have the power of God in my life because of the name. I am a child of God. So when your addiction comes up against you and your addiction starts pushing you down, you need to look in the face of your addiction and say, I am not that. I am a child of God because I have received Jesus. I have accepted him. I've been baptized into him. And then he filled me with his spirit. I am a child of God. Well, he's a good, good father. You better believe he's a good, good father. And you are a good, good child. Well, no, I stumbled. That's okay. Because he didn't push you out with severance. He said, I've got you no matter where you go. Because I pierced myself to, oh, come on, somebody hear me. He indentured himself to you. He became your bondservant so that you could be adopted into, oh, my God. Let God be who God is. And receive the name, receive the power of the name. Now, there's some people on the day of Pentecost, like right around 2,000 years from like the beginning of June, 2,000 years ago, beginning of June, Peter stood up and he preached a long time, like way longer than I'm doing right now, so you're welcome. And Peter preached a long time. And the people that heard this, and the Bible says that they were pricked in their heart, which means they were moved in their heart. They're like, oh my God, the word hit me and I realize there's something in me that doesn't line up. This is free. This is free. Don't be offended when you hear the word of God and it bumps you. That's the love of God reaching for you. God's not mad at you. Even if his people sometimes act like they're mad, get over it. They had issues. They didn't get enough donuts before they started church. Give them a little grace and realize God's not upset at you because of your sin. He doesn't love you less because of your sin. He's reaching for you. And when you hear the word of God, what you're hearing is his holiness being extended to you. Don't be offended. Say, okay, that, that bumped me. Okay, that means I need to submit myself to his word. They heard the word and they were pricked in their heart and said, hey, what, what should we do? Here's what Peter said. He said, repent. Repent. What, what does repent mean? It means con confess. No, that, that's only part of it. Here's what repentance actually means. Change your mind about what you think about everything. What you think about yourself, what you think about your sin, what you think about God, what you think you know about God what you don't have a clue about God, change your mind, repent, and then turn to God. Why turn to God? Because if you repent and keep walking this way, you're not living repented. And you're going to fall right back into the same thing that caused you to need salvation in the first place. You've got to turn to God and submit to Him. That's a choice that you have to make. How many times do I get to do this? How many Mondays are there? Or if you're like me, how many days of the week end with why? We all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, so we all need to repent and turn to God. Stop looking at our own stuff. Start looking to Him, the author and the finisher of our faith. Stop looking at our religion. Look at the one who spoke the worlds into existence. 
Stop looking at the things we should and should not do. Just look at the one who did it all. The one who overcame everything. You're greater than me. This is where I'm in. That, you're holy. I'm changing my mind about this because I want to be with you. And come boldly before him in that state of repentance. Peter said, you got to start with repentance. Because if you start somewhere else, you don't have any foundation. you got to start with acknowledging that you need God. Sherman, you need God. Todd, you need God. Tina's like, praise God, he does need God. you got to repent. Everybody say repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Why is that important? You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus who is our Savior. You need to be baptized in the name of our Father who became our salvation for the remission of your sins. Why is that important? Because without the authority of the name, without the power of the name, sin is not eternally washed away because blood of the Savior is not applied without the authority that comes from the name. You need the name. you got to repent and change your mind. Pastor, you're stretching me right now. I was, I've never been taught this. That's okay. Change your mind about it. God's not mad because you got taught wrong. And just because you didn't study doesn't mean that's not the Bible. It is the Bible. Change your mind. Okay, I don't know everything. I don't understand everything. So I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to turn to God. And I'm going to allow God to baptize me in his identity and baptize me with his, his authority so that my sins are forever eradicated from my life. The reason some of us walk around with our sins still on us is our sins were never remitted. It's like he took us out of slavery and we're wearing the chains of our slavery as decoration. We're like Mr. T walking around. We walk into church, Flava, Flav, and we got like all these chains all over us. I caught the old folks there. I got the people that are just slightly older. Modern day chains are the tattoos that they put all over their face. Signifying what they're enslaved to by marking. Oh, did, did I say that? Did, did. But maybe we could live free. Maybe we could live above. Maybe we could change our mind and turn to our God and a bit have his life applied to us. All of a sudden, we, we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit because the gift of the Holy Spirit is for you when you repent. When you turn to God, God says, I will give you everything about me because you're trying to do life on your own. Oh, by the way, I didn't design you to do that. You need my spirit in you as your daily access to your inheritance. I'm looking for my debit card. I don't have it on me. I got a bank account, right? But I can't access the bank account for two reasons. Number one, my wife does the finances at the house. I don't even know where our bank is. But she gave me this little card that said if I got hungry or if I needed gas in my car, 
which is code for if she needs gas in her car. I can go to the store and say, I don't have any money, but I have this. Will this work? My wife said there's money on there. Will this work? And they're like, swipe. Yeah, she's, she didn't lie to you this time. You know, there's money there. When you're trying to do life without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's like you're sliding your library card. Inserting it, I'm tapping it. It's my library card. It's not doing anything. But when you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he's like, you know what? AMX Black. You have access to everything that I have. What do you need today? Where are you going today? Oh, you're going to work? These are the people that work with you. I know what's going on in their life. You're going to need a little bit of this. Oh, you're going to school and you got to test about what? Yeah, you're going to need like. You're hanging out with a bunch of Christians that are judgmental? Come on, just come get baptized in my spirit one more time before you go. Before you step into your small group, make sure you get saved before you walk in because you, you know they're going to tick you off royally. You, you know you're going to go on Facebook later and you're going to see all the junk. Somebody, and it's going to be your baptism of the Holy Spirit. Try doing life without it. And then ask me, do I need it? You You do. So it's not for me, verse 39. It's not on the screen, but verse 39 says, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I don't know about you, but that's every one of us. We all need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We all need to repent. We all need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody, let's lift our hands and rejoice for what God is doing in this place. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. God, today we're going to live our lives according to your word. We're not going to live our lives according to our desires. We're not going to live our lives according to what we've been taught, Lord. But we're going to live our lives according to every word that comes out of the mouth of God. If it's not in the word, we're not going to live there. But we receive the word. Here's what I want us to do with nobody moving around. You can stay seated if you want to. You can stand if you want to. I'm going to ask every eye closed, every head bowed, nobody looking around. We're going to go back into worship here in just a second. But I believe that God wants to meet somebody in this place today. Is this okay if we just spend a few minutes in the presence of God, allowing our, our minds and our spirits to respond to the word that we've heard? Father, right now, with, with every hand lifted and every heart stretched out to you, God, I pray that today your spirit would begin to move on people's lives. People that, that may have been confused by something, that may have been taught something else, God, I pray that you would breathe your spirit in and give them that blessed assurance that only comes from you. Lord, somebody today that may be struggling with something in their past, they don't know how to let go of it. God, come down and reach down with your mighty hand of power and lead them into that place of radical life change, Lord. And Lord, somebody who just can't seem to let go of yesterday, Father, show them that you're greater than any pain that they have ever suffered in their life. In Jesus' name. Here's what I want us to do when nobody looking around. Just simply say this, Jesus, I repent of everything that I thought I knew. I repent of everything that I misunderstood. 
I change my mind about how I see you because I want to change my mind about how I see myself. God, I'm not a victim anymore. I'm not an addict anymore. I'm not abandoned anymore. I'm not bound in slavery to sin anymore. I'm a child of God. I have been bought and paid for by your sacrifice. And greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world.